Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. And number 20. This may or may not determine whether you're invited back at the Maverick Show. No, man. I'm going to give it to Biggie. I'll, yes! I'll give Biggie a seat. I'll give Biggie a seat at the table. Yes. You won me over. I listened to a bunch of his stuff. Okay. Just behind the scenes, I may have been texting you one Biggie song per day <laughs> in the week leading up to this interview. I just would drop on WhatsApp a Biggie song each day. I would just have no text preface to it. I would just drop a Biggie song, a Spotify link into your WhatsApp each day in the week leading up to this episode. With the insinuation being, yeah, if this doesn't wind up, (laughs) there will be no fifth appearance. Interesting location independent entrepreneurs and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Sean Tierney. He has been a digital nomad since 2016 and is currently an entrepreneur in residence for Portugal's largest incubator startup, Lisboa. Sean is the founder of the Problematic app, which empowers knowledge workers around the world to contribute their skills towards solving global problems from anywhere. For just a few hours per month, Problematic enables you to donate your skills to help address the societal issues that you care about most, all while making new friends, learning new tricks, and using your spare time to make the world a better place. Sean is also the host of Nomad Podcast and is one of the organizers of the Lisbon Digital Nomad Meetup, the largest nomad meetup in the world with over 13,000 members. And he is also an investor in a variety of asset classes, and he is currently building his turnkey rental property portfolio through Maverick Investor Group. Sean, welcome to the show. My man, so good to be back. It is good to have you back. We need to just set this context. If this is people's first time hearing an interview with you, this is actually your fourth time on the Maverick Show. I feel very, very lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Our very first interview, we should do a little throwback, was in Brazil in 2018 in Jericoquara. 
Yeah, this place actually reminds me a lot of Jerry Kukwar. It's kind of that same sandy town vibe and no paved roads kind of feel. Let's talk about where we are today, my man. We are yeah. together in person. We have just opened a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon from Chile. We're going to be drinking through that through the episode. And we are in Puerto Escondido, Mexico. Indeed we are. What an amazing town. You and I have been to Mexico together now for about a month, but let's talk a little bit about Puerto Escondido, because I, I agree, it does have a little bit of those same vibes of Jericho Cuadra in Brazil. Everything is sand. Every restaurant you go to, the floor is sand everywhere, and it's just a very rustic type of beach town. Yeah, for sure. It's a totally different vibe. So we just came both from Playa. We were at the Nomad Base Conference, and I would say just fundamentally different vibe. I don't know what your take is, but it's just very different here. Yeah, Totally. There's not like big resorts on the beach and all these international hotels and all right. this other kind of stuff. It's very, very rustic, true kind of beach town. I walk out of my place. I'm on the sand. I go jogging on the beach every day. I'm right there. And I'm not looking at international hotel brands. Right. Like exactly. it's actually like a really nice beach. And then there's local cafes. You and I just had dinner tonight at a local restaurant on the beach with our feet in the sand right. as we do every night. Yeah, 100%. I would say like the vibe of Playa, and it's funny, I discovered Playa in 2006. So I had been there early when it was like this. And to see the change, it's not that it's bad, it's just different now. It's kind of a, a Disneyland for what I would say is like Vegas cruise ship kind of tourists. And this place is very much still kind of undiscovered, it feels like. Yeah. And it's been very, very cool. We have had some amazing experiences here in Puerto Escondido. One night, you and I are walking. It's like one o'clock in the morning. We'd come out of some bar or something. We're walking along a very local street and there is a backyard hip hop cipher going on. And as we walk by, they invite us to come in. So these are all local Mexican folks here and they are sitting around a fire in a backyard, passing around a bottle of Mezcal and passing the mic, and they're just spitting hip-hop bars, and they're going around and around and around the circle. They call us to come in, and we just got to hang out with them at 1 o'clock in the morning. Dude, you should throw the clip at some point, maybe when you produce this, like throw that clip at that guy, because that was amazing. It was a Venezuelan guy, I believe, but he was crushing it. Yeah, incredible, incredible hip-hop talent there, and we just stumbled across it at 1 in the morning, like yeah. walking around the streets here. For sure. It was amazing. The other thing that's been really cool being here is that our very good friend, Travis King, has lived here now for about 18 months. He spent the pandemic here and just stayed. And he's basically like the mayor of this town. I mean, he knows everybody and he organizes all of these different musical events all around the town. Yeah. Shout out to Travis. That guitar in the corner is his. And people <laughs> should definitely listen to his episode because... <laughs> The title alone says it all. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. If you have not heard the Travis King episode of The Maverick Show, we will link that up in the show notes. One of the most legendary Maverick Show episodes of all time. Shout out to Travis King. But yeah, the fact that he's here and we just came, he knows everybody and he's a musician and he plays music all around in bands and stuff like that around town. And he organizes these open mic nights. And you, of course, are also a musician and have been able to jump up and participate in some of the events with Travis. How was that for you? 
it's definitely the biggest open mic I've been a part of. There was probably 300 people in the crowd and it was just such a supportive, chill vibe. It's amazing what they've built with that community is is really impressive. Yeah, super awesome. Yeah, they have the Thursday night open mics, which we're going to go to again this week. And then also Travis was playing at a Super Bowl party. And he hooked up the VIP table for us there. And then after the Super Bowl was over, they started playing music again. And he called you up and you got to do a song. And so I've got this great video of you on the guitar singing and then Travis playing drums behind you. And it was like two of my favorite <laughs> Maverick Show guests of all time doing things together. It was awesome. Yeah, that was really special. So before we go any further, would you be down to play a song for the Maverick Show audience? Yeah. Yeah. Happy to. So the one that I want to do... This is a song I wrote way back in the day in 1995, believe it or not. That's going to date me. But yeah, this is an original and it's called Catalyst. It was just about a moment. I almost don't want to tell the story of it. I'd rather like people kind of make what they will of it. But it's just like if you've ever just shared a moment that was kind of surreal and it was just about like a split second moment with a homeless person and like the whole song is kind of an exploration of that moment. Awesome. Yeah. And if anybody has not heard Sean Tierney's previous episodes, I try to get him to play at least one original number in each of the episodes, because you are not only a talented musician who, of course, can do cover songs and things like that, but you are a songwriter and you have written some incredible songs that I continue to listen to. I mean, I record these episodes, I get the song and then I will go back and I will keep listening to your songs because they're that good. So we're going to link up your previous episodes in the show notes if people haven't heard them yet so they can go and listen to a couple of the other songs you performed as well. But super, super excited because I've never heard this one. So here we go, Sean, take it away with Catalyst. All right, let's do it. Rearrange the letters and 
such a fan. Thank you, man. It's been a while since we played that one. <laughs> well, it's awesome because you have also played your original numbers at the Nomad Cruise talent shows in front of hundreds and hundreds of nomads. And so a lot of nomads not only are aware that you're a talented musician, but they actually know your original songs. And so it was really cool this past week because we're here in Puerto Escondido. There's a whole bunch of nomads that you and I have known for many years that are here now. And they 
asked you the other night if we could go to the beach and if you could play for us on the beach. And so it was, I don't know, midnight or so, and a whole crew of us just roll down to the beach and that it is you with the guitar and we're sitting like right by the waves coming in right on the sand underneath the stars, which you could see perfectly. And we're just sitting like 10 or so of us just sitting in a circle and you're just playing songs and people are requesting your original numbers, which was amazing, man. Man, well, I have also you to thank for it because we've done two Blind and Mermaid song, both of those on your show. So thank you for spreading the vibe. Absolutely, man. We're going to link them up in the show notes if people haven't heard those. The other thing, of course, that happens when you play a song and you and I are in the same city is that I get all of the compliments for the songs that you play because people mix us up all the time. <laughs> and so for people that have never seen the two of us together, apparently a lot of people think that we look fairly similar. We are about the same age. We're both Irish American. We're both around the same height. I'm about six, five, you're about six, seven. And so people will see you just bring the house down with, this is exactly what happened the other night, right? You brought the house down with a musical number at, the open mic nights, 300 people there. They're all into it. They're all blown away by this. The next day, I'm walking on the beach. I get stopped on the beach, right? I'm literally walking behind the beach volleyball courts. This woman who is playing in the volleyball game, she's about to serve. She stops her serve to say, oh, hey, like to shout out to me. I was like, yeah. She's like, I loved that song you played at the open mic. That was amazing. <laughs> At this point, we got to have like some kind of like pager or something. You got to tell me when that happens, man. That's exactly right, man. What a fun time, man. This has been a really, really fun month in Mexico. I agree. Awesome, man. Well, the other thing that I'm super excited to talk to you about is your real estate investing journey. Because you and I have been, of course, talking about real estate since we met many, many years ago. And you told me that you were interested in the concept of rental property investing and all that. So we've been talking about it a lot. And finally, over this past year, you started your official real estate investing journey with Maverick Investor Group and started closing on properties and all that kind of stuff, which I'm super amazingly humbled and appreciative for. And it's been so fun to work with you and have such a good friend as a client of our company. I mean, that's been amazing. But I want to just sort of hear a little bit from your perspective and maybe just kind of all the way back in terms of why did you decide, let's just talk about rental property investing in general as an asset class. You had an initial interest in that. What drew you to want to own rental properties? So it's been on my mind for a while. And then literally, I think we had a conversation on one of the cruises and I saw the talk that you gave. And the thing that kind of clicked for me was the part where you talk about the five profit centers. And it just makes so much sense. My goals are to get self-sustainable off of just the cash flow from properties. And the double-sided of that is also inflation is going bananas. So I want to like be at least something in hard assets that are hedged against inflation. So those were really my goals. And yeah, I've been meaning to get into real estate and just the the idea of turnkey. I don't have to worry about it. Like I've owned a house before where I had roommates and I took care of it. And it's just, it's a pain in the ass. I don't want to be the guy who has to go and fix the drip system. Not to mention, I'm not even in the location where the house is at this point. So it wouldn't even be possible if I wanted to, but I don't want to manage it. I'm happy to pay commission or whatever to have someone else deal with that. And so, yeah, it just made a ton of sense. And I've wanted to work with you, I think, since that one cruise. And so it's finally uh, nice to be able to do it. 
So awesome, man. Well, let's break some of these concepts down just for folks that aren't familiar with Maverick Investor Group and they're maybe not even familiar with real estate investing and some of the advantages of, of the asset class. So you mentioned the five profit centers and let's talk through some of those and how those are different from most investments that people are familiar with, right? Most people think of an investment like, oh, I'm going to buy stock. Or I'm going to buy a mutual fund or maybe I'm going to buy a precious metal like gold. And then if it goes up in value okay, great. I have no control over it. So I just hope and pray it goes up. If it doesn't, I'm screwed. If it does go up, well, now I got to sell it. And then I got to pay tax on the capital gain. And then I got to hope that what's left over actually beat the rate of inflation in order to actually have a gain in real terms. Right. right. And that's how, what most people think of as an investment. So can you talk a little bit more about the five profit centers and what sort of stood out to you and differentiated that, particularly in an environment like this with high inflation? Yeah. You've got the income from the thing. You've got the cash flow. You've got a tenant that's paying down your principal. Right. You've got the tax advantages of it, the deductions that you're getting on it. Right. You've got the fact that it's a hedge against inflation. Right. So you're not getting bitten by that. And the fifth one is the appreciation on the property itself. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got all five of these profit centers working for you at the same exact time. So even if the housing market goes down or stays stable or whatever, you're still getting your passive income every single month from your tenant. They're paying the rent. The tenant's covering your expenses. They're paying down your mortgage principal. So you're building equity that way, even if the property is not going up in value. So it's not like a speculative thing where you say, oh, I got to want to buy this and I'm going to hope and pray it goes up. And if it doesn't, I'm in trouble and all that. You're making your money when you buy if you buy right. So you've got that passive cash flow coming in, your tenants paying down your mortgage, and then you're taking your tax benefits, right? That's the thing that is also crazy about this is that the US government heavily incentivizes you to buy and hold rental property and to provide housing for the population so they don't have to do it, right? If you're yeah. willing to do that, they will heavily incentivize you. So they allow you to depreciate the structure of your property, you can't depreciate the land. You got to break that out. But the structure of your property, even if it's going up in value, you can depreciate it and take that as a loss on paper against your real estate gains that would otherwise be taxable, right? And then, of course, the inflation thing, which is wild because right now inflation is at an incredibly high rate. And for most people, that's really, 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 really bad because it just eats away your savings, right? So if the inflation rate is like, 7%. Well, that means if you get $100,000 in the bank a year later, all of a sudden you didn't touch it, but it's only worth $93,000 in terms of real buying power, right? Yeah. So it just silently eats away at your savings, at your wealth, at your net worth. Whereas when you own a rental property, it's the other way around. You can actually profit from inflation because home prices rise with inflation and rents rise with inflation. And if you locked in that 30-year fixed rate mortgage, you borrow that money in today's real dollars and you're paying the bank back in dollars that are worth less than the ones that you borrowed, future diminished nominal dollars. So you're actually able to profit from inflation. So when you buy and own a rental property, you flip a lot of these things on their head. And all of a sudden, you've got all these profit centers, which is also a downside hedge, because if one or two of your profit centers doesn't work out one year, you've still got all the other ones, right? So it can still be a profitable investment overall. So yeah, man, that is awesome. And then the other aspect of it that you mentioned, which is one of the things that when we founded Maverick, we really tried to differentiate ourselves on and really provide value to people like you is with the turnkey model. It's a lot of people that are sort of these DIY, do-it-yourself 
people that they want to fix and flip a house and they like the TV shows about renovating and designing and then they want to try to sell it and be a landlord or do all of this hands-on stuff. And for our clients, that's not our client base. If people want to do that, that's great. They can go and do that. For our clients, it's people that want to have all of the benefits of owning the hard asset, the deeded real estate, and all of these five profit centers that go along with it without having to be the rehabber or the landlord and without having to live near the property. This is something that I think is worth talking about. So the difference between going in on like a REIT versus what you do, I didn't understand that until you explained it, but maybe that's worth mentioning in terms of like the value of owning the hard deeded real estate. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of different mechanisms where people are sort of securitizing real estate, right? And they're selling real estate backed securities. So you get what they're calling kind of exposure to real estate in some way, right? Because the security that you're buying is backed by real estate in some form. But that doesn't mean that you own the actual hard asset itself, right? So you just bought a house. So you own the lumber and the bricks and the glass and the granite and like all of the things that are inside that physical house. You actually own a hard asset. It's deeded. Somebody can't steal that and run off with it in the middle of the night, right? It's not going to disappear in a scandal. It's not a paper asset. It's a hard asset. Whereas when you start securitizing things, all of a sudden now you're in the realm of paper assets, right? Which also removes a number of these benefits that we're talking about, right? In terms of actually having full control over this thing. Are you going to raise the rent for the next tenant? Are you going to sell at this particular moment? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? You have total control over this and you own the physical hard asset. When you start securitizing things, all of a sudden you're not the one that's in control anymore and you don't necessarily get all of these profit centers, right? So those are a lot of the sort of the major differences, I think. And one of the reasons that a lot of people have gravitated. So so our, that's our client base. It's different people want to do different stuff. Somebody that wants to do rehab a house and be a landlord and do all that kind of stuff. Great. Like more power to them. It's just not our client. What we try to do is enable people to be, get all the benefits of owning the real estate, get all the five profit centers of owning the hard asset, but without the headaches of the rehabber and the landlord role. And then also without having to live near it, that's also key, right? Because we help our clients to buy in the most investor advantaged US real estate markets regardless of where they live. And those markets change over time, right? I mean, you're from Phoenix, man. So you remember back in 2010, 2011, Phoenix was the hottest market in the United States to buy in. Yeah. And so we were helping our clients buy in Phoenix in 2010, right? Because these were like houses that had been built like five years ago. They crashed and you could now buy almost nearly new houses for less than builder replacement cost. But the rental market hadn't crashed. So you're buying these incredibly priced properties and you're able to rent them for really compelling rates and lock in this great price to rent ratio. So that was literally our most popular market in 2010, 2011. And then what happened is the home prices soared way up, way faster than the rents did. So now you have this process of yield compression where you're paying way more for the house, but you're not getting that much more rent. So the cap rate gets squeezed and Phoenix no longer is the most advantageous market to buy in for those reasons, right? If you're looking at cash flow and cap rates and things like that. And so then we moved over to Atlanta. So we've been helping our clients buy in a lot of different real estate markets. A lot of markets in the Midwest right now are a lot of the most compelling cap rates in the country. And these things change. And so one of the things we wanted to do with our business model is 
to be able to always help people to buy in the most advantageous markets when they're ready to buy, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then I'm curious too, how was your actual experience working with Maverick Investor Group as a customer, as a real estate buyer? How was the experience working with our company? It was good. The timing with this was weird because it was when the supply chain stuff was going on. So like the ever given, like it just, a lot of things happened that set it back a few months. But other than that, it was great. And that was nothing related to you guys. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, it's fantastic. Highly recommend. Happy with the cap rate that I got out of the whole thing. And it's solid. If it's any indication, uh, I sent you Rick and he's now bought three properties. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. he's ahead of me now. So I got to catch up to yeah, him. <laughs> exactly right, man. Even referring other nomads into buy rental properties, which has been awesome. And I appreciate what your role is to me is almost like a router. Like you sit where you're doing the investigation of the different markets and you have a single interface to all that where I can just go and I can see the properties, whether they're in St. Louis or Jacksonville or Phoenix or wherever they are. And uh, yeah, that's fantastic. You have just a, a kind of single pane of glass to look into all these different places. And you know, you deal with the same people every time. And right. I don't know what else I would rather do that it doesn't do now. Right. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. And it's a relationship-based model. So we're a licensed real estate brokerage, but we're not a traditional brokerage. We don't help people buy houses to live in or list their houses on the MLS or things like that. We serve real estate investors only. And all of our real estate investor clients is a long-term relationship. Like we're helping people to build portfolios of rental properties over the long run. So you mentioned Rick, shout out to Rick, who's already at three and you're picking out your next ones and stuff like that already. And so for us, it's about building a solid relationship and connection with each client and then understanding their individual real estate investing goals and then helping them to achieve those goals and build that portfolio over the time to hit that, as you mentioned in the beginning, the passive income number that you want, right? Like how much cash flow do you want coming from these properties to cover your lifestyle expenses so that you don't need to generate active income and work and stuff like that to cover your expenses. So awesome to have you as a client, my friend. I also want to talk to you a little bit about your project Problematic, which is the latest iteration of an amazing trajectory of initiatives that you've been involved with over years. And we have talked about, I think, the different iterations of it over the past episodes. But just let's assume that for the purpose of this episode, people haven't heard those episodes. Can you give us a little bit of the background and what led to the creation of Problematic App and what it is today? Sure. So, I mean, I believe the last time we talked, I was in Bali. That was the third episode. And so that was when it was right as COVID was just starting. So two years ago, and we were doing charity makeover. And we just thrown our largest event at that point in Bali, I think it was 32 people. And what this was is it was a hackathon designed to bring together knowledge workers of all different skill sets. And they would contribute their skills in a single day event where we would build these kind of game changing assets for different local causes little nonprofits in Bali. And we killed it. One of these things that we built is now today reliably generating something like $4,000 a month, which doesn't sound like a lot, maybe to, if you're in the US, but like in Bali, for something that had zero income prior to that, it was self-funded by this woman. I mean, this is a like a life-changing funds for her. And they built out this whole shelter. They feed like 100 families now. Like it's a really impressive operation. And that all was directly resultant from that, that one event. So that was really a charity makeover. That was kind of, I guess, proof of concept or a preamble to what I'm attempting to do now, which is to fix some of the things that are flawed. So what happened was COVID shut down the ability to do physical events. 
we tried to do a virtual one. It worked to some extent, but it wasn't ideal. And the vision with this project now, Problematic, is what's the compromise? How do we do this at a micro scale where we can orchestrate very small meetup events all around the world, pairing people up with other folks who share affinities for the same causes and have complementary skill sets? And it doesn't require that I be there to host these events anymore, that these are like little ad hoc kind of meetups and partnering with Croissant app to be able to provision workspace and orchestrate all this. It's been an interesting project and the ideas that we can solve massive problems. That's amazing, man. Can you give some examples of the scope of some of the different organizations that you have supported in the past? Because it's been a really broad range of some pretty incredible organizations. Yeah, for sure. We did an animal shelter, Proyecto Caraja in Argentina. El Hogar was an animal shelter in Barcelona. We did Esperanza was a fun group. We still in communication with them, but we had built an app. This is really an interesting project. It's two women that over the last, I guess now it's been like eight years since they've been doing this, but every weekend, they've literally never missed a weekend. They go out twice on the weekend and with a group of people feed the homeless in Barcelona. And this was all coordinated. They used Google Sheets to do it. And it's just really impressive what they were able to do without any kind of good technology behind it. And so we saw that and we're like, yeah, we can definitely make this better. And so we built an app that helped them coordinate things. And yeah, it had a number of people using it and made it easier, streamlined it and allowed them to do their thing. So, yeah. So awesome, man. It was one of the things that I feel like I connected with you on very early on was your commitment to this type of stuff and your commitment to it the whole time I've known you has been not just you personally want to do some volunteer work or contribute some money to some things, but you've been thinking about these massive global problems at a much larger scale and trying to conceptualize and organize these very decentralized solutions to organizing people and addressing these problems at scale in a way that harnesses all of the different assets and value that people can bring to the table in a way that can really make large change at scale, which has been amazing. Yeah. Look, my thesis is this. Anytime you're told that that's just the way it is, there's nothing like that's just how it is. We can't solve that. Like climate change. What can you do about it? There is always something you can do about it. I believe we have all the people and talent that we need to solve every one of these things. It's just a coordination problem. So tackling that coordination problem is how I intend to spend, I guess, the rest of my life. Like it's what I think is most interesting. So amazing, man. Can you talk a little bit about what the experience has been like for participants and what it's actually like as somebody that comes to the table to participate in one of these events? Yeah. I mean, we should link in the show notes, the the video, there's like a two minute video that does a really good job of this, but yeah, testimonials from a lot of nomads that, you know, Juliana and Krista and all, all those folks. Yeah. I think everyone really takes something away different from it. I think it's a way some people find it just fascinating to learn about other adjacent skill sets that they're never, you, you learn so much at one of these events because you're literally shoulder to shoulder with people of all these different backgrounds and you're working on something real together. And it's just very unique. How often does this happen? Startup weekend is the closest thing that comes to mind of what approximates this. But I think because this is truly like, there is no real commercial reward for this. We're doing it for literally just to help these people. It comes from a really pure place. That's awesome, man. So if folks are listening to this and they're interested in getting involved, who can get involved from where? What is sort of the contribution expectation that you're looking for from people and how should they get involved? Yeah. So you can go to the site Problematic with two T's, problematic.app, A-P-P. 
I actually personally built the first version of the app. It sucks. So we need, if you're technical and you want to help fix it, that would be great. But there's an app there that you can log into. You can add yourself. It will ask what types of role you are and therefore then what type of skills do you have associated with that role? Where are you in the world? What's your availability? That type of stuff. And we're really just basically trying to get an idea of who wants to be involved. And so the idea is down the road that we'll do episodes like these, where we interview the people who are already working on this problem, deconstruct it, brainstorm solutions. And then we have like this army of knowledge workers we can deploy on it. Awesome, man. Sounds good. We're going to link that up in the show notes. So folks can just go to themaverickshow.com, go to the show notes for this episode, and we're going to link all of these things up so people can find Problematic and connect directly and plug into a really awesome initiative. Let me talk to you a little bit about Lisbon, Portugal, a city that has a lot of really special meaning to you. I understand you were just in the newspaper recently. <laughs> Literally got a text today from a guy who actually hosts a conference in Portugal. He said, hey, look what I saw. And I'm on page like six of the Lisbon newspaper. It's myself <laughs> and Michelle Case. They did an article on digital nomads. It's a very popular destination. I think it's like number one right now on nomad list. And so they were just writing about, you know, why did you choose Portugal and how has it been and what do you think about it? So yeah, it was really fun. Awesome, man. Well, can you share a little bit about why you love Lisbon and what the city means to you and why you are spending so much time there? I think you should choose the place you live like a jacket that just fits right, you know, and you shouldn't necessarily live where you grew up. You should live where you feel most at home. And I just feel really good in that city. So it's amazing food, amazing people. It's close to the ocean. The geographic proximity to everything is nice to be close to the U.S. if you need to fly back. It's just a beautiful country, like the all of Portugal. We Amazing camping, coastal area, Lagos. The whole thing is amazing. I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, the physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation. If that sounds interesting to you, to learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now back to the episode. Wine, I'm sure you'll appreciate that. I mean, Portuguese wine, hugely underrated. I think you would agree. Absolutely, man. 100%. And I agree about the city of Lisbon. I mean, I remember the first time I went there, I was just like, wow, like there's something special about the city. It's really spectacular. I try to go through once a year or so to Lisbon. We hang out and I get to spend time in the city. So it's a really, really special place. And it is the home to the largest digital nomad meetup group in the world. I interviewed Rosana Lopez a while ago, who's one of the co-founders of the Lisbon Digital Nomads Group, which is amazing. If anybody hasn't heard that episode, we'll link that up in the show notes as well. But you are now also one of the organizers. Can you talk a little bit about that and what the meetup group is all about? Yeah. So it is the largest nomad meetup group in the world. 
So much so that Meetup sent delegates there to understand, like, what are these guys doing? How are they getting this kind of attendance? And the answer is they just do these events reliably, or we do. Now I'm, a, I'm one of the organizers with them. So we do multiple events per week. The Thursday event is always the biggest. It's like two to 300 people. And it's just an amazing glue for the community. These creative collisions that happen, I think it just takes seeing people enough times and getting exposed to people. And it's a neat asset for the town in terms of just knitting together the community. That's awesome. And you are also an entrepreneur in residence at Startup Lisboa. Can you talk about Startup Lisboa and what you're up to there? Yeah. Startup Lisboa is Portugal's largest startup incubator. So they take in startups early stage and the idea is provide them with mentors and office space and access to just anything they can to improve their odds of success. And I'm lucky. I, I basically was a mentor for them for two years prior to this and then suggested, hey, have you considered having an EIR? And they said, let's try it. And so it's been now over a year. And I get to meet with their 52 companies and just help solve problems. I'm basically a resource at their disposal and they can book me and we have conversations all over the map, but it's always some challenge and it's neat to be able to just kind of get to see all these different scenarios and kind of provide some experience. So awesome, man. And I have such good memories of me and you hanging out in Lisboa too, hitting up a bunch of amazing restaurants, including our favorite Neapolitan pizza spot, which we go to. Mercantina. Yeah. Every time I walk by that place, man. <laughs> the margarita pizza. <laughs> we got to tell that story, man. So I go to Naples, Italy. And while I'm in Naples, Italy, I get all these historical tours about the history of Neapolitan pizza and all that. And of course, that's its origin and that's where it is the best in the world. And what happened was there's people that would start making pizzas around the world and calling them Neapolitan pizzas and they were nothing like Neapolitan pizza. And so what they did in Naples is they created this Neapolitan Pizza Association. And in order to be a member of it, you have to be independently verified that you are making pizza and it's this whole giant list of compliance requirements, right? Making it in this certain way, using these specific caliber of ingredients, all of these types of things. And once you're verified that that's what you're doing, you can be a member of the Neapolitan Pizza Association. And then you receive a number because there's a finite number of members. And then you get to put the number in your window of your pizza shop, verifying you're a member of the Neapolitan Pizza Association. So I learned this while I'm in Naples. And then when I'm in Lisbon, I'm walking down a sidewalk, right? And now I have all this information about Neapolitan pizza in my mind. And I see a place that says Neapolitan pizza. And of course, I'm immediately suspicious. It's like, are these people calling themselves Neapolitan pizza, even though they're probably not? And then I look in the window, I was like, oh my gosh, there's the number. They're a member of the Neapolitan Pizza Association. Holy cow, this is legit. And so I walk in and I have the pizza and it is unbelievable. It's so good. And so I was actually there when I discovered this, I was on remote year. And so you and I both did remote year, which is how we know each other initially through some of the remote year network. So I was there in remote year and I discovered this place and I'm literally going to dinner there like every night. <laughs> I'm like taking a different person from my remote year group. I'm taking them there every night and I'm like a regular, they know exactly who I am. And every time I would go in, I would order the margarita DOP pizza because with real Neapolitan pizza, you just want the core ingredients, right? You want the tomato sauce, you want the, the buffalo mozzarella, you want the basil, and you don't want to put a whole bunch of toppings on it because you're just going to dilute the essence of the perfection 
of a Neapolitan pizza. So you just always want to order the margarita DOP pizza. So that's what I would order every single night. So they know this, right? So I'm a regular and I come in and I'm ordering this stuff and I'm bringing different people with me every time and I'm introducing them to Neapolitan pizza and all of that. And so it's this amazing, magnificent place in the middle of Lisbon. And so I took you to that place. And so then each time we go, I go to Lisbon, you and I will go there. And the one time you were going to be there earlier than me, and I was running like 15 minutes later, something like that. And you get there. Yeah, yeah. So I beat you there. And then you text me. You say, hey, man, get me a margarita DOP. And so I, I tell the waiter, I said, uh, my friend would like a margarita. I don't know what DOP. It's probably some kind of New York thing. Like, just can you make a margarita? <laughs> yes, you get a margarita. You didn't get the pizza. I got the drink, the margarita. <laughs> so I show up. I'm like, where do me a margarita? He's like, okay. So I show up and there's a margarita drink at my table. <laughs> it was amazing. So then I had a margarita drink paired with the margarita pizza. And it was a beautiful thing, man. But that's a really nice Lisbon tradition that you and I have. And you are actually really committed to the city in a major way. You are actually working on getting your second passport in Portugal. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of why you're choosing to get a second passport, why you're choosing Portugal, and how the process has been for you? Sure. So the first step is you need a visa, and then you travel on the visa, you get temporary residency, and then you maintain that. You have to meet certain criteria, be there a certain amount of time per year, and then eventually you get eligible for permanent residency. I think it's in the fifth year, and then the sixth year you're eligible to apply for citizenship. Awesome. Yeah. And you're getting close, man. Yeah, I'm four years into it. What's nice is even with temporary residency, you get access to the healthcare and to the Schengen. You're not bound by Schengen restrictions. You're able to travel freely in Europe. You get access to the home loan rates, which are incredibly low, 2%, 1.7%, like that realm. So yeah, you get all the perks of being a citizen when you just have residency. It's really nice. That's amazing, man. And what was your initial sort of impetus for wanting to get a second passport and then choosing Portugal as the place to do it? So I don't know if, if listeners have heard of flag theory, but it's this idea of diversifying in the way that you diversify a portfolio of investments, that it's never a bad idea to have diversified passports and options and money in different places. And so, yeah, so I like the idea of just having a separate passport. And, you know, you also get access to different countries based on the U.S. doesn't have good relationships with a country, then you can't travel there. So, yeah, I've always wanted to have a European passport and really looking forward to it. That's awesome, man. And then because I interviewed, I talked to Becky Gillespie about this. She's a mutual friend of ours mm -hmm. and she is doing the same thing. She's a little bit earlier in the process than you are, but it's about, there's a physical presence requirement, right? You need to be in Portugal for about six months of the year, and then you can travel and nomad around the world for six months, which is pretty much what you do normally, right? So there's two different requirements. There's a tax requirement, and then there's a residency renewal requirement. So tax-wise, you have to be there, I think it's 183 days, like over half the year plus one to be to be considered a tax resident. And then for renewal purposes, there's a two-year window. So it's a 24 months. I think out of those 24 months, you can't be outside of Portugal for more than like eight months or something. So you got to be there a fair amount. I think whatever that works out to be. But yeah, I, mean, I love Portugal, so it's not a big deal. Somewhere around half the year. So you spend about half the year. I mean, you're nomad life, basically, pandemic notwithstanding. Yeah. The way you normally structure it is you hang out in Portugal and for about half the year. And then you nomad around for half the year and you hang out in Mexico or in Bali or in Dubai or wherever we've hung out before That's around right. the world, Barcelona or Brazil, or I'm trying to name all the cities where you and I have hung out over the last five years. There's a lot of them, man. 
Yeah. Well, this last stint, I stayed for actually a, a little over a year, but that's because the Bali experience ended up being prolonged. Like I was intending to be only like two months in Asia and it ended up being eight months. So I had to then kind of build back my Portugal days to then qualify to be able to renew residency. So now that that's done, I put all my stuff in storage and I figured go somewhere warm for winter. For sure, man. And what a fun place this has been. So awesome, man. Well, I want folks, first of all, if this is their first time meeting you on this episode, I'm going to link all of the past episodes up that we've done because we went through a lot of amazing stuff that I normally do on an interview in the previous episode. So we went through like your whole story, some of your unbelievable travel stories, which are incredible and inspiring and amazing, as well as a lot of your sort of entrepreneurial experience and incredible tips on sales strategies and all sorts of amazing stuff. And so the reason you've been on the show so many times is because you've had so many different categories of things to contribute. And I wanted to just really pull them out. We've done that over the years, right? Our first interview was in 2018. So we're going to link all those up in the show notes. So hopefully people will be inspired to go and check those out and hear some of your other original songs, which are freaking amazing. And for this episode, at this point, Sean, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? Let's do it. Let's do it. The lightning round. All right. So I have asked you a lot of lightning round questions already because this is your fourth interview. <laughs> we, we've kind of run out of lightning we've, round questions. I'm going to be trying. But the thing is, it's beautiful about the lightning round questions is I can ask you for additional recommendations. So you are someone that reads a lot of books. You're a really voracious reader and you really read a lot of very interesting stuff. So like every time that you and I are going out, having dinner or whatever, we get in incredibly deep and interesting conversations and you're going down rabbit holes for like new avenues of things that you're interested in and you're you're working on developing skill sets and new things and all that kind of stuff. So I'm always fascinated to hear what you're up to, what you're reading. So let me just start this off by asking if you can recommend a particular book that has has had an influence on you lately. I can. The one that I would tell people to read in terms of like the most wisdom dense book that I think I've ever read. I know it's a strong endorsement, but this book, Super Thinking, the author is Gabriel Weinberg and I believe his wife. And he's the founder of the DuckDuckGo search engine. And they did a masterful job in basically taking 300 mental models. Mental models are kind of like design patterns of thought. So things example like availability heuristic or shirky principle or chatelier's principle it's something that you see happening and then you say okay oh that's one of those so i can recognize that now is a pattern and use it uh, in future to make sense of of things that happen so i think his premise is like this understanding like having this toolkit of lego blocks helps you be wrong less often and make sense of novel scenarios faster. So it's just an incredible book and they package all these things up and they put it in a narrative format and you end up remembering and using these things. I found it so useful that I actually turned them into space repetition cards. Space repetition, this is a flashcards that have a way of repeating and you kind of drill yourself on these things because I think they're so useful and it's so important to internalize these that if you can build this up, Warren Buffett's guy, Charlie Munger was a huge fan of this stuff. I think it's a superpower to internalize this stuff. Awesome. We are definitely going to link that up in the show notes. And if anybody doesn't know DuckDuckGo, I actually interviewed Allie Green on The Maverick Show, who at the time that I interviewed her, which was back in 2018, was the director of people ops for DuckDuckGo, who at the time had just over 50 employees. I mean, they've scaled since then. But 
fully remote company. So she's got a senior level position at this company and she's a full-time itinerant digital nomad. I literally interviewed her in Nairobi, Kenya, which we were just hanging out for a month together in Nairobi, kicking it. And she's the senior director for people ops at DuckDuckGo. So super interesting company on so many levels. I mean, their product is interesting, what they have, and then the way that they've actually built their business and the way that they run it and how remote and everything it was from day one is just super fascinating. Yeah. And for people that don't know what that is, like DuckDuckGo is a Google alternative. It's a very privacy focused search engine. So they don't track your results. And yeah, I switched to it. I use it now. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so awesome, man. Another lightning round question that I want to ask you is to share some of the top travel hacks that you have developed. Okay. So this is one that if you're listening, if you take nothing away from this episode, I think this is important enough where you should go immediately set this up. So this is for anyone who's using an iPhone, iOS users. There is, I don't know if you know this, but there's a feature called SOS. And if you are on the road, what this does is three things. So you set it up. If you hit the button on the right five times, I'm just going to try it. I don't know if this is actually going to work because I have it in flight mode, but we'll see. It's doing it right now. There's a countdown and then, and then I'm going to stop it. So it doesn't. Okay. So I just stopped it right before what it's doing in the background is it's figuring out the local equivalent of 911, wherever you are. In the US, 911 is the emergency number. It's not necessarily that. In Portugal, I think it's like 211. So if you're on the road and you're traveling, moving countries, you may not know what the emergency number is for your locale. This will figure it out for you and dial it on your behalf. That's number one thing that happens when you do that. Number two thing that happens, we didn't get there, but it sounds this loud siren. It'll override whatever your noise settings are, and it will start making a loud noise that will draw attention to you. Number three is it will then place a message to anyone that you have registered as an emergency contact in your health app, and it will contact them and start sharing your location so that they know where you are. And to me, I don't know why Apple hasn't made a bigger deal out of this, because this seems like a really important thing for people to understand. This could be the app that saves your life in a situation if you know how to use it. And it's something where anyone can remember, like whether you're threatened or whether you're hurt, just remember, like push the button on the right five times and it's going to do all those things on your behalf. That is my number one travel hack for people. Awesome. So the way that people get it, they just go to the app store. No, it's, it's embedded in every phone. Oh, it's already in the phone? You don't phone. have to install anything. No app? Yeah. What you need to do is set up your emergency contacts in the health app. Health app. Yeah. Okay. So open the health app that's on the iPhone. Yep. Set up your emergency contacts. Yep. And that's all you need to do. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Any other travel hacks? I've got a ton. I'll just give you a few. I'll rattle them off here. So everyone knows, or I think if you've been on the road, you appreciate like an eye mask and earplugs. I am partial to silicon earplugs. I've tried them all. I think they're the best, but silk eye masks, silicone earplugs, that's just a staple. You got to have them. If you're in a place like we are now where there's roosters in every corner of this place and it's construction and crazy noises, then the nuclear option there is actually, I would say, second gen AirPods are, they have the noise canceling. And to be able to use that with a white noise app on your phone is priceless. You can be anywhere, whether it's trying to go to sleep or whether it's loud coffee shop trying to get work done. But the ability to block out distractions and loud noises, I think, is really important on the road. Here's another one. So 
posture is a big thing. I'm a tall guy. You're a tall guy. So I don't know if you had the same back issues. I mean, just I think tall people are particularly prone to this. But working on a computer, which most of us do because we're remote workers, you just end up getting back problems like on the road. And so something that I found this last year that was super useful, we can link it in the show notes, but uh, this idea of purchasing a second Bluetooth keyboard and then you split them. And there's a piece of software for the Mac. I'm sure there's one for Windows, but the ability to run two different keyboards and you just open up your shoulders. So you can basically hold your arms as far apart as you need to. So your hands are back. And I know this sounds weird, but imagine now typing the left part of the keyboard on the left one and the right part on the right one. So it's like a split keyboard. No. Two full keyboards. It's two full keyboards that are virtually melded together. There's a piece of software that treats it as a single keyboard. And it's just been fantastic. Is there a manufacturer name for the product? Well, you can use it with any keyboard. I use the Apple, I think it's called the Magic Keyboard. Okay. They are Bluetooth keyboard. And then this is an open source piece of software. It's called Elements Carabiner. Okay, so you get Elements Carabiner software, and then you just buy a second, whatever your Bluetooth keyboard is that you want to use. Correct. And you can use any Bluetooth keyboard. You just buy two. And then this piece of software allows you to spread them apart and type on both of them. And virtually join them. So it treats it as one. Wow, that's super interesting. But yeah, that's been super helpful this last year. A couple more here. AirHelp, that's a service that I can highly recommend. This is something where if you've ever missed a flight, and they don't want to refund you, these guys will work on a contingency basis on your behalf and fight to get you money back. And so it's a free service, airhelp.com, super useful. They just basically do battle on behalf of customers who have been wronged by airlines. Wow. Yeah. And is it a service that you pay for on like a subscription basis or how does that work? No, they take a cut. It's contingency only. Oh, so if contingency. You pay nothing if they don't get you any money wow. back. Wow. Yeah. They take a percentage of anything they get and you pay nothing if they don't get anything. Right. Amazing. If you have a ticket there, you can go even retroactively. You've got a ticket right now that you lost money on, then you might as well register it and try to recoup some of it. Is it an app or it's a website you go to? It's a website. Okay. I think it's airhelp.com. Okay. So we'll link that up in the show notes for sure. I didn't know about that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a good one. Okay. Tip five or four, whatever we're on. (laughs) Always, always decline the conversion at ATMs. I don't know if people know this, but... This is kind of what I would say is like dark UX patterns. Like when you go to withdraw money in a foreign country, almost inevitably the local ATM is going to want to have you use their conversion rate and they're going to screw you on it. So just always when it gives you that screen, they make it look like you're going to prevent the transaction from happening. But read it. It says, would you like to accept or decline the conversion? Always decline it. You're going to get a way better rate if you let your bank do that conversion. And not just at ATMs, but oftentimes restaurants will ask you this question and they'll say, do you want to pay in the local currency or do you want to pay in U.S. dollars? Meaning, do you want us to ring this up and bill you in your local currency or wherever you're from, right? Do you want to pay in euros or U.S. dollars or whatever? Or do you want to pay in the local currency? Always pay in the local currency because any conversion that they do back to your thing is just going to create a margin for them on the and cost you more money. Yeah. If you use the Schwab card, which I have, they will reimburse you. So it doesn't necessarily matter on that card. But for everyone else, like some of these Euronet ATMs, especially in Europe, like the conversion rates are just terrible. And so always decline the conversion. It's such terrible UX. They, they, they just make it like the default. So you're going to press yes. Always pay in the local currency 100% of the time everywhere. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. So two more TripBox app. So this is something that I highly recommend. And they do have a Google and an iOS version of this. But it's what it is, is it's crowdsourced Wi-Fi passwords. 
And so you can go anywhere and know that you, you can just get on the Wi-Fi. And like odds are, like depending on what city you're in, it's not perfect coverage in the really remote places. But a place like Lisbon is super up to date. You can just basically not ever have to ask for the Wi-Fi password again. Beyond that, when you're planning to go to a cafe, they have crowdsourced speed tests as well. So you can look on the map, you can see what's around you, and you can actually go in and see how fast and good their connection is. You get the ping time and up and down speeds. So super useful. They rebranded it. It used to be called Wi-Fi Maps Pro. It's not called Tripbox. Awesome. And is that an app that you download from the App Store? It is. Okay, yeah. cool. And they, they have a free version. I think the paid version enables you to cache the result. It's useful if you don't have connectivity, you can still use it. But the free version is free. So Nice. All right. And last one, there's one called uh, Trip Mode, which is an app that I use on my Mac. And what that does is it allows you to throttle. If you're on a crappy connection, like this is the perfect example is Puerto Escondido, where we are down on the Punta area. It's very spotty Wi-Fi and the connection is not solid. So you want to basically block out all the non-essential apps that are hogging bandwidth. And this is an app that you run. I don't know if there's a, a non-Mac equivalent, but you run it on your Mac and it allows you to say, look, don't sync my Dropbox. Don't do any virus updates. Don't do any background updates on any of these other things. You get to like selectively prune out the apps that will hog your bandwidth. And so it lets you make the most of a crappy connection, basically. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I saw you actually sent that out to the group here because we have a group chat of nomads. Yeah. And the Wi-Fi is not great here. <laughs> and so people were like, you know, where can I find good Wi-Fi? Where can I find good Wi-Fi? And you were like, well, listen, even if you can't find great Wi-Fi, if you do this, it'll allow you to make the best of what you have. Whereas right now, you're probably running like all this stuff simultaneously at the background. So it's half as good as it could be with what we have. That's right. And so, yeah. So a lot of people were like, oh, wow, I never heard of that. Like, that's super helpful. And like, they were giving you like all this positive feedback on it. So yeah. that's awesome, man. Yeah, no, these are great travel hacks. We're going to link all this stuff up in the show notes. So just go there and then you can just download most of these things. And most of these things have a free version that you can use or there's a paid version. It's not too much. So you can check all of those out. Awesome, awesome travel hacks, man. I'm always looking for new travel hacks. That's one of the reasons I love to interview nomads on my show because I keep learning new stuff. And then I'm like, okay, download this, download that, and then keep up on my travel game. So that's awesome, man. All right, Sean, we have now come to the most important part of this interview. The, the part where I never get invited back to be on the Maverick show. <laughs> All right, we have to give the context here. All right, for people that maybe haven't heard of Sean Tierney interview before, we have to give them the full context here. So one of the things that you and I bonded over very early on, we bonded over a number of things. It was actually pretty wild, right? Because we have a mutual friend, Trevor Gerhardt, who introduced us. He's like, you guys, not only do people confuse us because of our physical appearance, but Trevor's like, you guys simply need to be friends immediately. You must meet. Just trust me. You guys are going to be best friends from day one. And sure enough, he yeah. was right, which was crazy. And we bonded over so many things. But one of the things that we bonded over was our love for hip hop music. And so... One of the lightning round questions that I often ask my guests that Mavericks or listeners know is to name their top five hip hop MCs of all time. And so, of course, when you were on the show for the first time, I asked you to name your top five. And of course, you named your top five. And then I had you on for a second time and I was coming up with other lightning round questions. I said, you know what? Why don't we round out your top 10? 
and go ahead and name six through 10 in terms of hip hop MCs. And so you did. And then I had you on a third time. <laughs> and this was during the pandemic. It was like the height of the pandemic. Everything around the world was shutting down. You were in Bali. I was in the US. Like the world was going crazy. And I was like, you know what? For the lightning round, I think we should have you name your next five, name 11 through 15. <laughs> so you have thus far on the Maverick Show named your top 15 hip hop MCs of all time. And of course, on episode number four with Sean Tierney, I am going to ask you to name your number 16 through 20 so we can round out Sean Tierney's top 20 hip hop MCs of all time. But just for the listeners recollection, why don't we review your top 15 before we get in to 16 through 20. So who did you pick for your top 15? Let's just start with that premise. Well, so two of them were just in the Super Bowl. So number one, Eminem, number two, Dr. Dre, number three, Ludacris, Ice Cube, and Beastie Boys. That was the top five. Mm -hmm. All right. Six through 10. I got Kendrick Lamar, also Super Bowl, Jay-Z, Sage Francis, People Under the Stairs, and Zach De La Roca. Yep. And for 11 through 15, it was DMX, Run DMC, Tupac, Kanye, and Chuck D. Yes. I was so happy that Chuck D was in there. However, I've also Someone noticed some glaring omissions. <laughs> I've noticed, for example, that the Notorious B.I.G. has not been in your top 15 and I am really hoping that, uh, well, I don't even want to say anything. I don't want to prejudice your picks at all because these are your personal picks. These are very, very, very personal. So I don't want to pressure you in any way as to who your top 20 might be. But I would love, though, actually, before you name your final five to round out your top 20, for you to share a little bit about, because you and I actually had some really cool conversations about this. I mean, one, we were in the middle of a freaking hip hop cypher in Mexico, which was crazy and amazing. But we've also had some discussions about you and I came up in the exact same era and we had some discussions about, because you were into a lot of different types of music, right? And we talked a little bit about some of the parallel cultural dynamics in terms of some of the anti-establishment forms of music ranging from punk rock to hip hop and you know how these were very culturally different, but in many ways, politically and socially, I mean, they had a lot of congruence and overlap and things like that. So maybe can you just share a little bit about what hip hop meant to you coming up and how that sort of integrated with some of your other love for different types of music as well? Yeah, I actually grew up on punk. No facts, face-to-face, Propagandi. Those were my bands growing up. And what we were talking about is like hip-hop shares a very similar stance, speaking power to it, speaking to authority basically and saying, no, I don't agree with this, you know, and it basically like standing up for yourself. So I think that vein is reflected I probably would have to admit that I identify more with punk, but to me, hip hop represents that exact same thing. It's a way to put that message out there. It's a way to package it and make it acceptable. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, you know, for, and for me coming up, it was like all hip hop was like, that was just like the first time I heard it, it just like spoke to my heart and it impacted me emotionally in a particular way. And then I became a hip hop DJ in the nineties. And that was just like, a huge part. I just immersed like full on into that culture. But I always had 
a respect and appreciation for what the punk rock culture was doing. Even if I didn't emotionally connect as much with the music as I did with hip hop, skateboarding culture and the politics that were coming out of the punk rock movement and like a lot of the things that it stood for, like I really appreciated sort of that as the anti-establishment types of things that, that was going on over there. So I always had a sort of a parallel respect for that culture. But you eventually though did begin appreciating and connecting with hip hop as well, which I appreciate. I think it's inevitable. How can you not? It's just in the same vein, right? It's a different type of music, but it, it's more about like the gist of it and the, the zeitgeist that we're in. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So you have not told me anything. You would not give me any precursors as to who your final five are going to be to round out your top 20. So I'm just going to open the floor. I'm going to let you take it away. Sean Tierney, 15 through 20 hip hop MCs of all time. All right. Before I do this, what are the odds of being back for episode five? <laughs> okay. If, if Biggie is I, might, I might have told you that if the Notorious B.I.G. is not in your top 20, that this might be your last Maverick Show episode ever. I might have said it. I might have said it. And I might enforce that. <laughs> Wow, there is so much pressure here because I've got one that's a swing vote here. So I don't know how this is going to go. So let me give you, what is it, 16? And I don't know how this, this was my omission. Rakim. Of course. How did he not make the... I don't know, but I also don't know how big he did make the top 15. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so Rakim is clearly in the top 20 now for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Talib Kweli. Nice. Good pick. Yeah. This one may be a little far afield, but like Kid Cudi. I don't know if he qualifies. Yeah. Like he's a kind yeah, of a crossover certainly. musician, but yeah. Certainly. Okay. This one is going to raise eyebrows. Tyler Joseph of 21 Pilots. He is not a traditional MC in the sense of like hip hop, but I think his style, he is just a poet and he embodies the essence of that. Just speaking his mind. I don't know. Like it's, it's you, you got to listen to this guy. So Tyler Joseph, I think belongs. He needs a seat in the top 20 even though he's kind of a, a relatively new addition in this scene. So, and number 20. <laughs> <laughs> this may or may not determine whether you're in front of the back of the Maverick show. No, man, I'm going to give it to Biggie. I'll, yes! I'll give Biggie a seat. I'll give Biggie a seat at the table. Yes. You won me over. I listened to a bunch of his stuff. Okay, just behind the scenes. I may have been texting you one Biggie song per day in the week leading up to this interview. I just would drop on WhatsApp a Biggie song each day. I would just have no text preface to it. I would just drop a Biggie song, a Spotify link into your WhatsApp each day in the week leading up to this episode. With the insinuation being, yeah, if this doesn't wind up, <laughs> there will be no fifth appearance. You might have forgotten about this song. You might have forgotten about this song. You might have forgotten about this song <laughs> i sent you a video we had actually covered big papa the band that i used to play with in conjugal visit a duo acoustic band but we played a show and we, that was one of our closing songs we played big papa so amazing man and you have done a number of acoustic numbers where you will drop hip-hop songs into your sets for me in particular which i greatly appreciate so fun man i'm so excited for the upcoming open mic this thursday in puerto escondido where you bring some heat wait wait till you see you're what gonna I got bring the heat man <laughs> i'm so stoked bro and then you and i are rolling out the weekend right after that so uh, it'll be an amazing closeout night and i'm sure i will get a lot of appreciation for whatever song you sing the following day yeah 
(laughs) (laughs) Amazing. All right, Sean, as usual, brother, this has been an incredible, fun wine night with you, my man. How do you want folks to come into your world, learn more about what you're up to, and how can people best connect with you? So I did a social media fast about starting last Christmas. So it's now over a year and I still haven't really re-entered Facebook and Instagram. Can you share a little bit about that actually? Because that was actually super interesting. I remember you writing a really extensive blog post when you decided to do it. And then you've subsequently reflected on the impact of that. So actually, before we close this out, I would love for you to share what led to that what you actually did, and then your reflections on how it went. Sure. Well, so what prompted it was <laughs> I'd already I had seen the movie Social Dilemma. That's definitely a documentary that's worth watching. This is by the interview a bunch of people that are involved in various social media projects. The gist of it is that this might be the cigarettes of our generation. You know, back in the day, they didn't know that cigarettes caused cancer and then eventually realized that, oh, wow, this is actually terrible for us. So this could be to our mental health, the new cigarettes. And we're using this stuff daily. We're engrossed in it. And some people to more extent than others. But I don't know. I just had this feeling that, you know, maybe this isn't the greatest thing and I want to know more about this. And the movie kind of prompted it. And then there was a negative experience on Facebook that you saw that the blow up. And that was just kind of my cue to say, okay, let's test this out. I'm never going to know this until I try it. So I just wanted to see how long can I go and feel what it feels like not to be on social media. And then it's been now over a year and I haven't really gotten back on Facebook or Instagram. I use Twitter. I don't know. That's kind of maybe taken the place a little bit, but yeah. So therefore... In light of that, if people want to learn more about what you're up to or come into your ecosystem, what is the best way of them to do that? I would just send them to my blog. It's scrollingondubs.com. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm scrolling on dubs on pretty much all social media. I just don't use all of it anymore. But yeah, no, just go to scrollingondubs.com. It's kind of a hub. I've got links to what I'm working on and those posts that you just re- mentioned regarding social media, the before and after. Uh, it's kind of interesting to see what my premise was going in and then kind of what the result of that year-long experiment was. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to link up your blog in the show notes. So folks can just go to one place at themaverickshow.com. Go to the show notes for this episode. There we will have all the links to everything we have discussed in this episode. All of the links to the travel hacks and websites and apps and books and everything that Sean recommended as well as his blog website, where to contact him, how to get involved in problematic. If you want to contribute your skills to making the world a better place and connecting with some other amazing humans that are doing the same thing, an incredible project to be a part of. We're going to link it all up. Just go to the maverickshow.com. Sean, this was amazing, brother. As always, thank you for coming on the show, man. I thought you were going to mention as soon as I got my next STL property, I'll be in St. Louis scrolling on those. You, we can find you. (laughs) Yes. As soon as you buy your next turnkey rental property in St. Louis, then we can find you in St. Louis scrolling on doves. One hundred percent, brother. That's how I told you. You know that St. Louis is the next market where you need to buy because then you can tell people. That's how I make all my real estate decisions. <laughs> they can find you in St. Louis scrolling on doves. One hundred percent, absolutely, my man. Thank you for coming on the show, brother. It's been a treat, man. Awesome. All right. Good night, everybody. 
Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you by cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber. To get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals, schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.